I am Zarina Dimitrova, a strategic partner and mentor to businesses in the process of transformation. Join me on Grow and Learn as we explore a range of topics from personal development and career advancement to relationship building and financial management. With practical advice, inspiring stories and expert interviews, we'll give you the tools you need to thrive in every aspect of your life. Join us as we share insights and strategies that can help you achieve your personal and professional growth objectives. This is Zarina, and my guest today is Matthew Pison. We're going to be speaking about real estate investment, how you can basically build an asset base in the hundreds of millions while doing a day job. I'm very curious to hear that from Matthew, who managed to crack the code of real estate. Welcome, Matthew. Zarina, thanks for having me. <laughs> my pleasure. Matthew, you were an electrical engineer. You did an MBA. How did you end up in... Um, well, I, I just discovered that we had both studied, we both did our MBAs in Spain, so yep. <laughs> <laughs> happy to be talking to you. Um, and now that we have even more something in common. Yeah. Yeah. So, so um, how I got started, I, I, I graduated from engineering school in 2010 and, and um, that was the depths of the great financial crisis. I got a job at a large multinational company. I was lucky for that. But it was in an IT role and I, I was in engineering and, and uh, it wasn't a good fit. You know, I was building servers and different things and it wasn't really what I studied. And my boss at the time told me I was the worst employee he ever had and the company should fire me. And, and I realized it was painful to hear that because I had, uh, had $50,000 of student loans and debt and I didn't know how I was going to pay for all that. And I was scared I was going to get fired. And so I realized that having one customer, my boss. And that one boss's opinion of me was going to affect my future. I, I didn't like that. And I didn't want to get fired. And I realized I needed to find another way. So I, I discovered entrepreneurship at IE Business School. And that's when I realized, oh my gosh, this is what I wanted to do. Because I always had ambition. I just thought that it was the corporate ladder. But then I discovered entrepreneurship. And um, I one module in particular was finance. And um, I learned about debt. In real estate, and it just made sense to me. And I knew that when I got back to the U.S., I I wanted to buy real estate um, using debt, and and I didn't want to rely on a job and one boss. So um, that's how okay. I got started. Yeah. Okay. Give us more about the nitty gritty of the, of the start. So you graduated. Did you start another corporate job while you were uh, taking debt, or how did you manage to get the debt after you had um, you were in debt after uh, business school? Right. Yes. That, that's a great question. So I still had my student loans from undergrad. Um, I did a Fulbright scholarship at IE Business School. So it was actually funded by uh, the U.S. Department of uh, Education. Mm -hmm. And so um, at least I didn't have to pay for my MBA. I did it through Fulbright. It was a grant. And then when I got back, though, I still had those loans. So I needed to pay for them. And um, what I did was I, I got a similar job, but much higher paying now that I had my further education. Um, I paid the minimum on what I owed still, and I really practiced extreme discipline. Um, I, I uh, spent almost nothing, I, and I wouldn't recommend doing this looking back, but I ate, you know, really poor quality food, like ramen noodles, other things, just packaged foods, you know, rice and beans just to pay almost nothing in food. And then I lived in a friend's, basically his, his basement and for really cheap, like 300 bucks a month. And I put everything that I could into investing. 
Um, I was, I was young. Um, I was in my mid twenties and I didn't have a girlfriend at the time or anything, you know, now I have three kids under three, you know, with my wife, but, um, I just really got extreme. And I said, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. Right. So, and then I, I just saved as much as I could and, and bought rental properties with it. Mm -hmm. How long did it take you for, to buy your first rental property? So it took me about eight months when I got back from Spain. Um, I had basically nothing. I had less than nothing. And so I had saved around, um, I had saved maybe 20 or $25,000 from uh, in that time. Mm -hmm. And I bought a single family house for $60,000 um, in Allentown, Pennsylvania. And uh, so I put, I think, $18,000 down. I still had five or seven grand left. And um, that was my first house. Uh-huh. Okay. And so how did it develop from there on? What was your model? Yeah. So the bank lent me the other 48,000. Um, so lending terms change depending on where you are, but here in the States, I was able to put down only 15%, um, or 20, I forget. And then, um, the bank put down the rest. Yeah. So, and then the tenant paid off all the, um, all the rent, uh, I'm sorry, all the, the mortgage, the taxes, all that stuff. So, um, then I actually had my car paid off free and clear at that time. So I took out a new loan on my car <laughs> and I used that to buy, um, we have an FHA loan product here in the U S so I put three and a half percent down on a four unit multifamily building about six months later. And that was my next purchase. Um, and I had to put down, I think, I think I only paid like eight or $9,000 and then I owned a whole apartment building. It's 5,000 square feet. So it was, it, it was, uh, um, it's unbelievable looking back. So I just used these different creative loan products that exist and was able to get uh, virtually everything financed. Okay, amazing. How does it work right now? I mean, the, the, the situation in the economy works quite differently at the moment. And I know right. that I recently read that the majority of uh, rental homes, uh, single property homes are actually bought by institutional investors that probably compete with you. So how does it work right now? Have you observed? Yeah. yeah, it depends on the market. I mean, the institutional investors aren't in my area and um, they're, they're actually, I mean, if you look at all single family homes, still the majority are purchased by owner occupants, but of the rentals, um, it, it, the institutional investors are creeping up and I guess it depends how you define them. But mm -hmm. um, today, how it works is for my model is I, I, I send out letters and I have ads online. I have my website and people find us. And then we solve problems for them. Either they have a house problem or they have a personal or family problem. Um, either they're behind on their taxes, their mortgage, the house needs too much work, whatever it is. And we come in and we buy the house um, generally at a discount because they're, they can't sell it on the open market. So we have to do a lot of them. I, I'm, I bought a house this morning that it needs $90,000 worth of work and it's only worth one fifty. So I couldn't pay that much, but no one else would buy it. So it's uh, um, situations like that where the house is just in such disrepair that no one, you know, you can't sell it on the open market. It, you mm -hmm. have to sell to an investor. So that's, that's my model today. Just distressed properties or distressed situations. We fix those. Yeah. And how long does it normally take you to fix those and put them on the market for rent? Usually if it's a, a lighter rehab, maybe six to eight weeks. If it's a heavy rehab, like the one I just said, three to four months. And the value that we bring is that those houses are uninhabitable. Uh -huh. And so that means that the same amount of families 
are competing for less homes because this home isn't fixed. So once I fix it, we have a downward impact on rents because mm -hmm. we create supply of houses that didn't exist before. Mm -hmm. um, they're just in disrepair. You can't live in them unsafe, uninhabitable. By bringing them onto the market, we can lower rents. We provide more supply. So there's definitely a need for what we do. It's just that those sellers either can't get out or they can't, they don't have the money to repair. And those homes just sit there. Now no one can rent them. They're not productive or they're just falling down. So yeah. we fix those problems. Mm -hmm. I see. Yeah. You mentioned also that you're working with um, companies for um, nonprofit projects. Can you tell us a bit about this? Yes. So um, we purchase houses for a profit, but I believe personally that we, yes, we have to keep the lights on, right? Every business must, but we also have social goals and we want to have a community impact. So what we do there is we, in addition to the, the renovations of the homes, which improve neighborhoods in the community by not having a blighted property, um, we donate time and resources to uh, the real estate lab in Allentown. Uh, I was the director there, and but recently my wife and I had twins, so I had to step down. But congratulations! What this, yeah, what what the program does is it provides knowledge, networks, and capital to those that have been historically excluded from real estate ownership for demographic reasons and other reasons, and. It's, it's about closing the wealth gap here in the U.S. and giving disadvantaged groups an opportunity, a leg up to invest in real estate, build their wealth. And uh, that's a huge passion project of mine because I want to help other people succeed. Um, I want to so impact the community help, them get help loans. others, right? Yeah. Yeah. You help them get loans? Did I understand right? That, that's correct. So we, we do. It's a 12-week it's a, a program. We provide credit counseling, uh, mm -hmm. financial education, real estate education full life cycle of a real estate transaction from like, how do I find a house to how do I sell a house at the end? And how do you, how do I get money? How do I get a loan? How do I repair this thing? How do I find the right resident? How do I rent it? Right. So it's a full soup to nuts um, education program for, uh, for participants. Mm -hmm. And what do you want to achieve? I mean, your, your real estate portfolio is huge. It was something like 200 million already or, so oh, uh, well, it, it's, it's not that it's about a 10th of that, but it, yeah. it's, uh, it's still not small. Um, I mean, I want to, I want to impact the, um, I want to impact my community and really renovate. So like, I don't know if you're familiar with Billy Joel's song, Allentown, but that's about the town I was born in. And it's, it's all about urban decline and, you know, job economic, uh, malice and, and bad times. And so I want to reverse <laughs> what that song was about. I want to create housing opportunities, jobs, and, 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 uh, get people excited to be in, in my hometown again, because <laughs> it's had a bad reputation for a long time. Yeah. So well, that's what I want to achieve through real estate. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. Tell us a bit about the current developments. How is that impacting you? Like uh, interest rate? What are, what is your expectations of the future development of the market? Yeah, so interest rates have gone up fast um, over the last 18 months, faster than any time in the last 20 years, and um, if not ever. And so that has created an interesting effect where people that have these low interest rate mortgages, three and a half, four percent, they don't want to sell because now they have to get a seven percent mortgage. Mm -hmm. And I think in the US, at least as my basis, I think something like uh, 40 percent or so of homes are owned free and clear, 60% are financed. That might be flipped, but of the finance properties, 70 or 80% of them 
have a, a rate below 5%. So current rates are at 70 or at 7%. Why would anyone sell is my point, right? No one's going, no, there's really limited inventory. Um, there's, there's few houses for sale and that puts kind of a, a floor on pricing. Yeah. My concern is affordability. Um, the residents, I mean, rents could keep going up because there's just so, such little supply. Mm-hmm. The problem is the, the residents can't afford it. Mm-hmm. So they're not, they're not qualifying, which means we can't find the residents that can actually pay. Mm-hmm. So um, unless if there are large wage increases, I see the rent amount um, leveling off. I don't see many increases in the future. There may be decreases. And I just don't see values shooting up too much, maybe two, three, 4% appreciation per year in 2024 mm-hmm. due to affordability issues and constraints. So that's my crystal ball, if you will, for next year. Uh, thanks for sharing that. <laughs> yeah, we'll see if I'm right, but who knows? <laughs> are, are you adjusting your business model in some way to, to fit these new realities? Yeah, going back to financing, my model had to completely change um, about 12 months ago. Uh, I was, as appreciation was happening, values were going up. I was cashing out by doing cash out refinances Mm-hmm. on that equity at low interest rates. Mm-hmm. But once the rates went up, the the rents could no longer support high mortgages because the, the debt was expensive. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't able to refinance, cash out refinance anymore. Yeah. So I've started selling single family rentals to homeowners because that there's so much equity trapped in them. Um, I'm not refinancing anymore. So I've been a net seller um, of single family rentals for about the last year. And I had never sold single families. I just kept them. I just kept refinancing them. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the, the higher interest rates, um, allowed really forced me to sell some of those just to, I didn't have to sell, but I chose to because there was equity in them and I wanted to reposition it. So my model changed. I don't really do many refinances. The rate, the rates are too high. Yeah. So what would you advise anybody who is willing to dip their foot in, in this market, dip their toe. <laughs> yeah. Is it the right time or what should they do? I mean, look, it's always the right time. So it's just how educated are, so I always come back to education and, and that's what I preach at the real estate lab. We help, we help folks get educated so that they can make good real estate decisions, make good investments. So anyone who's looking to dip their toe in and get started, get educated listen to podcasts like this, listen to real estate podcasts, really learn about is, does this property make sense? Does this market make sense? Who's my team? What properties do I want to buy? Um, and if, if folks want to get started, you, you have to start with education. You can't just buy a house and think it'll work, right? You have to really get educated first. Mm-hmm. I spent so- years, literally years getting educated before I bought my first house. So I would start there. <laughs> Because mm-hmm. once you buy it, you own it. It's not like a stock you can sell tomorrow. <laughs> once you own it, it's your problem. <laughs> yeah. And would you say that your knowledge is also uh, applicable in similar areas to Pennsylvania or the the exact uh, town that you come from? Or, so, or is- yeah, re- real estate is, um, the, the principles are the same regardless of where you go. Now, having said that, landlord-tenant law changes markets change, employment changes. Um, so there are very specific things to each market. It's a local business, mm-hmm. but the principles are the same. You you still have to manage cash flow. It's a business. 
You have to manage cash flow, money coming in, money going out. You have to manage debt payments. Um, you have to manage employees, contractors. You have to manage properties. Um, so the principles are the same, but each market is, is definitely different. Mm -hmm. So the people that contact you for advice or if they want to sell their property, are they mainly from your area, from Pennsylvania, or are they from other states? Generally from Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. So if, if they want to sell property or need advice, they can go to Pezon property. Pizon Properties, P-E-O-N yes. Properties.com. That's correct. Yep. Yeah, that's correct. And if anyone's interested in reaching out, um, you can just fill out the form on our website and I'm happy to chat real estate. It's my passion. So <laughs> Lovely. Matthew, anything that you'd like to share that I've missed asking you that you think is important for this conversation? One, one thing, going back to the finance piece, um, I spent a lot of time getting my mindset around money correct and how to learn to use leverage. And it's a tool. Mm -hmm. One of the mistakes that I made early on was getting out of debt and thinking that that was the best way. But if businesses can use leverage and use debt correctly and use it as a tool to generate much more income than the cost of that debt, it's a very, very powerful wealth builder and business accelerant uh, to grow. But it can also be, um, it's like driving, it, it will be a race car. If you don't know how to drive the race car, you could crash into a wall or you could go very fast to where you want to go. So um, I spent a lot of time getting my mindset right around debt and around using leverage. And I recommend it for businesses provided that it is done properly. Mm -hmm. And done properly is based on the... What is can you service it? So can your business, if you take on debt, can the use of that, those funds, does it provide much more income, at least 20% more income than the cost of that debt? Mm -hmm. um, that's how I look at it in real estate. In other businesses, you maybe you want 100%, but yeah. if I borrow $1,000, I want to make $2,000 on that. Or if my monthly payments are $100, I want to make $200 per month on that debt. Mm -hmm. Um, because if you have a hundred, if you take out that loan and you have a hundred dollar payment, but you're only making 50 with it, you're going to run into insolvency issues because mm -hmm. you owe a hundred, but you're only making 50. So that's what I mean by using debt correctly. I understand. And yeah. this knowledge came though through education and experience in your specific market. So it's not like something you can apply across real estate or across any other businesses. Yeah, I mean, there, there are tons of, of books. So in my specific case, I, mean, I read so many books on real estate finance, on, on leverage, on banking. And uh, I, I've done over 200 loan requests. So I, I mean, I can do this stuff backwards and forwards, but um, there, there, there's so many books online um, and uh, for paper copies that, that you can get to learn how to um, learn how to use debt. To, to grow a real estate business or any business. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. Thank you for sharing all your knowledge and information. And uh, again, your website is pizonproperties.com. Thanks so much for having me, Zarina. I enjoyed our conversation. <laughs> me too. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Grow and Learn. We hope that you found our podcast informative, engaging, and inspiring. Our mission is to help you keep growing and learning, and we hope that our conversations and insights have provided you with practical advice and useful perspectives. 
If you're looking for personalized support and guidance to help you achieve your personal or professional growth objectives, I offer a range of services to help. As a trusted management partner and mentor, I work with businesses in the process of transformation, looking for new streams of business, as well as M&A. With an extensive professional network of experts and mentors, I can bring on board the right person or team based on the specific needs of the company I'm working with. To learn more about the services I offer and how I can help you achieve your goals, visit my website at growandlearn.org. You can also reach out to me via email or social media. I'd love to hear from you. And if you enjoyed this episode of Grow and Learn, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Your feedback is important to us and it helps us to continue to create content that is relevant and valuable to our listeners. Thanks again for listening and we look forward to sharing more insights and perspectives with you in the future.